Welcome to Sustainably in Love with your hosts Sebastian and Guilherme. We're going to be embarking ourselves on an endless journey to raise massive awareness debunking sustainability in fashion. Yeah, right, everyone talks about it, but what do they really mean? Is it organic, recycled, plastic-free products? Slow fashion circular economy business models? Or maybe all the way up to ethical fashion and fair trade social values? So much to debunk, so much to uncover. Come on, join us and let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sustainably in Love. I'm thrilled, um, uh, 100% thrilled, to have the opportunity to have a conversation with Samantha Jones, a senior retail executive that uh, works for many fashion brands as a consultant right now. We will cover that. But it will be very exciting because we don't often have the opportunity to talk about, you know, the big corporations of the fashion industry. Well, Samantha has been international head of design um, at CNA. Uh, she's played an active role on Inditex, international design director at Primark. Well, and we know that all spotlights of sustainability, fair trade, corporate responsibility lies within companies like these ones. But even before debunking this, Samantha, thank you so much. And how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Um, great pleasure to be with you and um, great pleasure to talk about such an important subject, which I think is probably, I don't want to call it the fashion word, but the, the, the most important word on, I think, every retailer's thoughts and um, um, speech at the moment. Um, yes, I mean, great introduction, thank you. Um, just a little bit of a global overview. Exactly. Go through your background, tell us about those experiences. Yeah, I, you know, um, I've been in the retail business, um, I'm frightened to say, just over 25 years. And, um, you know, kind of grew up um, with the word sustainability wasn't important when I was at St. Martin's graduating and then um, luckily um, have had a journey with all, I would say the big box boys. So started my journey at Next, um, which was an amazing school um, and really was very conscious um, even about, you know, the kind of cotton that they had, the yarns, the threads at that time. And that was, that was centuries ago, it feels like now. Um, and if you look at their journey, um, they've been really proactive with trying to, to keep that journey up as, as you know, if you look through the times, um, other retailers have jumped on different bandwagons such as H&M, et cetera. But if I, if I look, um, if you go through the years, um, you know, I went from Next, um, I think it was there just over four years ago, uh, you know, for four years. And then I went to Inditex, to Zara, which at that time, it was all about being lean and fast and speed. And that was the, the trend at that time. And nothing really about sustainability. Although they were very conscious not to over ticket, not to overpackage. They were that was more of a financial model, which is quite interesting if you look at that now, and um, which I'll touch back on at, at the end of, of me walking through the history a little bit. Um, uh, really good experience um, working with a comparison of I worked at LC Waikiki in um, Turkey, uh, which was really interesting because it really was again um, very cost conscious and, and lean in that manner but not addressing any of the environment or sustainability or even bioproduct at that time. Um, and, but the one, the one turning point in my career was probably um, working at um, head of kids uh, in CNA. And that really was an important conscious learning for me. Um, you know, that's a company that is under the radar um, that is, uh, my gosh, it's one of the top six retailers in the world across 19 countries. And they really quietly 
had a journey um, and they always have had a journey because it's a family owned business. So they were donating and, and doing a lot of charity work under the radar. They were building villages and water systems for factories and um, doing kind of a little bit the full circle. Um, and they were quietly trying to be sustainable without anybody knowing in different manners, which is quite interesting. And that, that really was, it felt like kind of um, even very early on in my career. So that stayed with me um, quite a lot um, along the journey, although they were trying to, at that time, it's really when H&M launched their, their um, bio cotton campaign and everything was about bio cotton and um, a little bit started to speak about less packaging. And that was really the conversation at that stage. Yes. Um, and I think everybody jumped on the let's get away from plastic discussion then, even, you know, I, I was then at Primark. Um, and the international discussion on less plastic was not really the conversation then, but it definitely was about leading into bio in the UK, especially. I mean, they had 180 stores at that time. Um, they were really under the press and the radar because, um, you know, it was, if you remember, it was the time where um, every catwalk trend was in the Primark window. Yeah. Um, and they really launched themselves into the forefront um, of the public, which they needed to do. And they did a fantastic job at it. But they quietly also in the background were having yarn conversations, were having, um, you know, manufacturing conversations. Um, why? Because they'd been so exposed for everything from, you know, do they have clean factories? Do they have safe factories, et cetera? So I think they, they have probably done a lot of the work that many retailers haven't heard about, but behind the scenes for a long time. I think Primark have, have done a great job quietly. Um, and they work very um, fastidiously and, and um, behind the scenes with their manufacturers um, in terms of, of what they can do. And I think the reason for that is because if you look at the world of the UK retail market, um, not that it's the leading one in the world, but it's a very important one in terms of what the supermarkets do to challenge you. Nice. So, so as, soon when, as soon as one of the retailers brings an I don't want to say the it word, but the it subject that's critical to solve or a problem. Um, what happens is the supermarkets jump on it, Sainsbury's, Tesco's, etc. And although they're not leading fashion, they are leading a movement of the public. Um, and that's why, um, obviously, competitors such as Primark, etc., um, in the value retail sector have to pick up on it. Um, and of course, if, if you look um, at, at sustainability now, what I find is, is quite amazing. I mean, having worked in um, you know, Australia, South Africa, Africa, my gosh, Poland, some of the most amazing markets, um, mass population. Um, it's quite amazing that you can take a brand, for example, I, I was recently GM at Woolworths in South Africa, amazing um, company. And if you look at what they've done on foods and packaging, and they own a lot of their, you know, their, their food product, you know, they, they own milk farms, etc. They've done amazing journey on, um, how to make it lean and efficient from a, an environmental point of view, what is good for the animals, what is good for the crops, what is good for the people, um, less packaging, um, every, you know, every kind of um, possible thing they could have done on foods. Um, but if you look on the clothing, I mean, the simplest things that retailers don't think about, and was always my learning in, in each of these retailers is, if you imagine on garments, um, the customer is just looking at the outer garment. So they, they go, they buy a t-shirt, they buy a trouser. They look at 
they might now be conscious of the coat hanger, they might now conscious be of the label of the kind of cotton of, of whatever the garment is made out of, um, you know, or how they receive it online, for example. The, the bigger problem that they don't realize is actually most of the problems with sustainability are around the internal workings of each retailer and company. Mm-hmm. So you might on one item in some cases, um, depending on the retailer, receive between eight DHL packages, all packaged in plastic or boxes or wrapping, um, or up to 30 just for one garment style. Can you imagine? So if you imagine the average Primark is doing around 1,600 options around every six weeks, can you imagine how much correspondence that is? I was, yeah. For me, uh, if we ended the conversation right now, it would be short, but already full of educational uh, uh, work for for people to to absorb. I was was really kind of stood out for me was the fact that you mentioned that some of these um, big corporations like CNA particularly were actually working on the backstage and silently because if we see the trend today, it's kind of the opposite, right? Everyone wants to shout out a bit louder than everyone else. So super interesting that these uh, these uh, companies, even Primark itself, you mentioned in the, a lot of work was, was being done backstage. Interesting perspective that on the early stage, it seems that uh, these companies were working more on kind of a backstage layer and not, let's say, promoting their sustainable efforts. Correct. And, and you know what's interesting? For example, let me give you an example of Primark. Every single component that they have, um, in general, most of them, especially, for example, the coat hangers, et cetera, is 100% recyclable. So they already were doing, they've been doing this for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's nothing new to them. Um, the, the bit that I think that everybody misses, though, and it's a bit of my um, passion, is from beginning to end of process, of the beginning of a garment to the end of a, a garment, nobody counts in the middle all the internal things that are not sustainable not just on on the end of the packaging of the garment. What about the whole process of going back and forth and back and forth to head office, um, that between the factory and the head office, that's the bit that's not very manageable and sustainable. That's why things like 3D imaging of garments that can be fitted online, that's why technology is so phenomenal, um, are so vitally important, actually, that people move to a model where they can actually have a 3D image of their garment and it can be fitted to the correct sizes without them having to receive necessarily uh, um, multiple samples. Of course, they, they need to touch and feel the garment, but these things really make a brand fully sustainable from beginning to end. And I think that that's quite important because there's also the wastage. If you think about the amount of wastage of uh, landfill and products, I mean, if you look at the COVID process of the last year and a half, there is actually not enough space, for example, in China to get rid of all the waste garments. Um, and those are the kind of things you have to think about the brands that have been sending those garments to Africa, for example, because there's no room left in the UK to landfill anymore. So those are all the bit of the topics that the ugly bits that many people don't talk about, but um, they're actually the vital bits, I think. Um, you know, are you giving them to charity at least? Are you making sure that, that somebody's getting use out of them? Um, you know, like as they launched last week, their, um, their secondhand um, garments in store phenomenal um idea for sustainability of course of course 
And I think the, the overall concept of circularity is also really booming within the, the big macro uh, of sustainability. And there are so many ways we can endure and extend the life cycle of a product. And, uh, and also really stood for me that all those mid stages in between there sometimes are not the most easy or popular to talk about, but sometimes are indeed the, the really very relevant stage stages of the, the the life cycle of a product that really impact uh, sustainability and we're already there but I just wanted to uh, um, without going off topic because we've been in so much of the big ones and even prior to debunk into kind of uh, the sustainability practices in all of them for, from your journey point of view um, let's talk a, a little bit about the big picture of retail um, yes. took of course a huge hit with coronavirus with the lockdowns mm-hmm. uh, and, and all of it e-commerce is booming even the e-retail is there right with big marketplaces taking the state what's the future of uh, you know physical for your Samantha um, uh, that's a really good question. I was I was speaking with um, I had a meeting this morning, and actually, that in fact, and yesterday, two different, completely different countries, different sides of the world, different um, backgrounds, having the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, look, the reality is, um, bricks and mortar are you know they're struggling. Um, they have been struggling. If you look at the Australian model. Um, they went all big box, for example, um, big box uh, uh, spaces. Um, And you've obviously got the same problem in America. And then obviously people have really realized over the last seven years that that's dead space. Um, And so they've tried to very hard to offload space like that. If you you then look at um, the UK, where you look at Debenhams, um, unfortunately, Topshop, these beautiful, amazing retailers that um, unfortunately um, got, I would say, too big for, for, for what they could manage at, at those times, um, have not reinvented themselves or have stayed in the same manner in which they thought and they, the customer has outgrown them. Um, and then the, the, the new customers, um, let's call them the millennials, have found uh, other newer brands. And also the, the lifestyle has changed. So um, just because I'm going to answer your question, it's a bit long winded, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the lifestyle of, of people having the time to shop, um, it is actually a luxury to have the time these days. Um, and, and if we look at COVID, it's changed the face of how we do things. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to use the cliche new norm, but it is a new norm. I mean, at the end of the day, people are, are yes, they're rushing out to go to a Primark because, for example, but um, doesn't have online and also because it's so cheap. But um, the, you've got two problems now. The online with Brexit, for example, you've got the online model that is expensive and it's much more expensive um, if you're not in the UK to buy from a British brand, for example. That's a huge problem. Um, which means is there going to be more local production um, for those brands and how are they going to tackle this problem? Um, the second thing is that you've got really um, brilliant um, brands um, with uh, very competitive uh, pricing, great products, sustainable, all singing nuts, and then the new startups, and then they merge with an online platform and influencers to be able to launch them. That's some of the work I've been doing over the last year and a half with up and coming new brands. Mm-hmm. Um, very exciting and, and definitely has made me feel more relevant um, uh, because it's it's really working with influencers that um, really know how to trade um, and it's less about uh, fashionability and it's more about um, what the consumer, close to the consumer. 
Um, but then what have you got? That, that face has changed um, the bricks and mortar and the bricks and mortar stores now are not that relevant. Um, so what's happening is if you look at the Marks and Spencer's model, I refer to the UK, but they're doing it all over the world. They're having to bring in relevant brands, either from online or brands that are um, in smaller boxes to be able to do shop in shops. This isn't something new. This is something um, people have been actually been doing for years, but it's, it's actually the thing that's needed to, to bring newness and freshness. And instead of it being a department store environment, it's more like convenience because you can go and get more than one brand. So unless you're a Zara who, um, thank goodness, brings newness and freshness through their collection, um, and they're the only one that really addressed it through their collection because what happened um, last year, uh, I would say July, I think it was August, I can't remember the first when we came first out of lockdown. Um, they actually changed the way that they do their ranging, for example. In women's wear, they juggled around their kids' wear ages, um, so it gave newness. They introduced new categories such as athleisure and dance to kids. And in their women's wear, they took the base palettes that they obviously still have women basic and, and traffic, but the, the, what they did was they took their base palettes and instead of them looking samey samey, they took, let's say, a naturals color palette and they gave it two highlight colors. So they had three different offerings. So they had more capsule collections. So for the customer, and they were rotating, it, I think every two weeks. Yeah. So the, for the customer walking in, it all looked new. So, so you've got two, to answer your question, just to summarize, you've got that model, which only Zara is doing at the moment and has been doing successfully through COVID as well as online. Um, and they've introduced new categories. And the second thing is now that people are having, um, retailers are having to bring in other brands into their store to give them a fresh new offering. Amazing, great stuff, great takings there. And uh, indeed, Zara is very unique in the way they approach the, the physical store. And even myself approaching a lot of these independent uh, labels, uh, what I do see, I don't know if you agree, is that these brands are looking for the physical, not to, um, not to generate directly a big amount of sales, but I think they're really looking at just flagship points where they want to be in nice places, uh, relevant department stores like Gallery Lafayette and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that even the brands that are digitally native, they may look at, at retail and physical, but just out of positioning maybe, and not much yeah. for uh, for kind of for reaching more uh, uh, sales directly. I would say. Yes, it's it's it really is for. I would say let's call it for attracting the footfall yeah. because yeah they they it's the best way to to PR yourself. Um, I also think retailers that are only bricks and mortar but can't get more growth um, are needing to then go into also another retailer to get more growth to catch another customer, for example. So. Um, I mean, it's it's very similar to to the H&M and um, kind of they always had a strategy to be in Germany when they launched to be right next to CNA, every single store. So in the beginning, so that they would get the footfall. It's quite clever. So, yeah. And I, and I think for the online businesses, they yes, they are leading online, but they do need to be aware that there are um, those customers that may not find them online because now they're the market's also becoming saturated so if you if you google i don't know sustainable athleisure i mean you come up with a variety of different brands um so so that's where your influences and your other marketing tools come in which is really important 
Amazing. And I love that topic around saturation because indeed it, it was a huge opportunity after COVID. Uh, uh, Instagram became this marketplace for sure, but uh, at the same time, it often became overwhelming, even for the consumer side. So I think it's very interesting that you mentioned that saturation part of things, Samantha. And uh, revolving ourselves back into uh, sustainability, you mentioned it yourself. You were part of some of the big ones and uh, even before debunking uh, some of them and some of their examples and even your work particularly there. How can you basically differentiate all of them? What are the core differences between uh, SARA, CNA and Primark? Because they are very, very different. And where do, do these big corporations intersect? Because even for, on the audience level, they try to put all these uh, companies just out of their volume and you know their turnover and they put it all in the same bag but of course they're very different um where do you think they're uh, very different and where do they intersect Samantha? um i think you know it comes from culture it, it always comes from the leadership and i think that's really important so um you know i have admiration for each of them and being blessed to work with each of them i think look if you look at um I mean, you, you're talking about big animals to move, you know, they're, they're you know, I don't want to call them dinosauric because they're, they're, some of them are very modern, but in thinking, mm -hmm. but they've all got large boards and um, it depends on two mixes, the culture and also what the intention of the leadership is. So, for example, CNA was all, it's family run business, amazingly lovely family, um, great experience to work with them but they always were driven by margin. It's only in the last few years that they have modernized, they've changed a lot of their leadership and um, they realized their objective was they're not gonna get margin if, if um, you know, they just only drive margin on the product. And so now, for example, products improved, um, modernity, it's now selling in Zalanda, um, you know, gives them a bit of a fresh intake and, and reaches to more customers. Um, when you take something like a Primark, I mean, a lot of hats off to, to somebody like a Primark where their mission is actually, we don't want to go online. <laughs> we know we're not a business to go online because at the end of the day, if you know, if you, the, the average basket that you sell, mix of garments or products, um, if it's below a certain value, there's actually no point having it online anyway because it's not returnable financially. So they're very clever. I mean, if you think about their average t-shirt on kids is like one euro they're never going to get their return for the money so they and they they held it out and they held it firm and and um you know all the way through covid and and i mean their sales have been off the richter scale ever since they opened because they have a niche market um if you then go to zara they i mean they're kind of untouchable in the world of reinventing themselves um and they've managed to do it very, very rarely that a business can be bricks and mortar and online and have the same modernity um, at the same time. And they've managed to do that. I mean, they just like a few days ago, they just um, uh, introduced stationery. I mean, who would think that Zara would be doing stationery onto their online platform? Um, so it's reaching a yet again another customer, you know, that's office based or whatever it might be, um, home office based. Um, so each of them have got their own niche, and I think that that's why they all maintain to kind of be the top top six in the world, um, and they're able to to keep that fresh. Whereas if you compare them to some of the American retailers, um, or even Australian, um, they 
they're not quite as in, inventive, I don't think. And I don't mean that rudely. I just think they're big animals to move and the culture's different. So it is really about the leadership. The only one that I would say comes to the forefront right now is Target USA that um, has gone back to the original reason they're famous, which is always having these new um, up and coming designers or, or you know, very famous designers to do ranges within their store and they became very famous for selling out within two or three days so they've, they've just launched that they will do that going forward whether it's sustainable or not is a very different question <laughs> but um, yeah we have the example even on a kind of the digital way with Naked for example doing a lot of collabs and constantly bringing new novelty to, to the to the forefront and then the the question arises even when you praise sustainability and the business model that you try to incorporate within sometimes let's say clashes a bit to say the least uh, yeah. so it's safe to say that uh, you know a lot of the sustainability boom in terms of uh, uh, at least uh, media wise has came a little bit after your journeys in those corporations but at that time it was no news as well there and that there was a demand for a change uh, because fashion has been a toxic agent uh, so even I would say, and you can you can uh, support me or or deny me on this yeah. one, but I would say that when we're working with such big corporations, uh, you are talking about even greater topics like climate changes and maybe even interceptions with the politi highest political level. Um, and uh, my question is, having in mind that background, how did you in your work and how did these companies in particular have been approaching uh, sustainability, this particular topic? The, you know, there's always um, there's always keyboard priorities that they pass uh, down, and um, of course they 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 require input from all the team. Of course, they're, they're all of the companies I work for. Luckily, we're very open to suggestions. But in general, the board has a direction. So whether it's because they're on the um, you know British Retail Association, or uh, you know because usually the retailers are gathering together to have some kind of mission statement. Um, but the individual retailers themselves, so for example, Primark specifically, um, because of all the press that was happening um, in the UK, they wanted to really make sure they were on a mission to make their factories the best factories possible with the safest conditions. Um, and through that journey, the cleanest, and then it came to, you know, um, making sure everything was recycled. So it was just a natural journey for them because they started originally with the, the kind of the factory mission. Um, CNAs, because they've always donated to charities, but they've always hidden it. So they've never, you know, their biggest thing is how do we go into India? And these people don't have water, um, obviously not the whole of India, but <laughs> certain villages. These people don't have access to water but we want to produce in this village. How are we going to do that? How can we look at these people every day? So they were conscious. And I think that's really important, what the retailer is conscious of. Um, but then you get the other, the other if, I, if I look at some of my experiences, you get the other retailers that do it for the press and they, they jump on a word or a, a theme um, because they, they have to be relevant, not because they were conscious of it. Um, and that's when it actually doesn't work. So you, you've either got to have it in your DNA, your blood, and everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet within the, not just the team. The, I mean, you've got, you've got to have everybody in technology and buying in the factories and, you know, um, so 
I, I think that everybody's got to get it roughly from the leaders and then be able to live and breathe it. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. If it's just a marketing tool, they get discovered quite quickly anyway. So there's many, many people shouting out today that they are um, sustainable and or they're working towards sustainability, etc. But really, if you really unpack it, they're not. It's a marketing tool. It's a marketing for sure. And, you know, there is a strong conversation around what people call the, the greenwash, right? Or mm. the greenwash. And um, we're talking about, you know, a lot of the audience kind of revolving around these corporations and putting uh, basically a CNA, a Primark, an H&M, an Inditex, everyone in the same bag. And without doing the efforts to try and understand particularly what each one of these uh, brands do. But even with that in mind, um, um, of course, there is always mass production uh, around these big corporations, of course. The business model is fast fashion at its heart, typically. Um, and you were mentioning a little bit about the efforts of Primark and CA or, or Zara, and they are doing those efforts. But, but my question is, that for sure, they can have an impact. But from your experience within, do you believe that these companies can or are reaching a point of total commitment to sustainability? Or is it impossible in any way? I know this is a very mm -hmm. tough question to, to, to answer, but please walk us through because you were within it. You were talking about leadership being in that DNA. I think it's a good opportunity even for the audience that thinks that you know a, a player like Primark can never have a sustainable DNA when they're selling those t-shirts at one euro. So I know it's, it's a difficult yeah. question, but it needs to be. I think, yeah, I think, I think, you know, as, as more... It's quite a tricky answer to, to give you, but as more retailers together um, on large box retailers do more, it naturally becomes easier. So, for example, um, if there are six manufacturers and they're all working um, with three um, large box retailers that specifically want sustainable garments, it's easier and more affordable. Mm -hmm. um, because they're getting the volume and then, you know, when they, when they do beginning to end process, it, it's easier for them. If there's just the odd one, then that's not really an affordable garment for anybody. Um, and, and that's some of the experiences and also the knowledge uh, is really important. So, you know, there's that discussion about if you make a, a denim, for example, oh, if it has six sustainable components, it's sustainable product. Well, my question is, well, what's, what's the largest component on the garment that's not sustainable and and you know so if if for example um you know the zip the poppers that all of these different things but is the actual denim sustainable because that's the most and, and the wash that was on the denim because actually that's the the mass of the garment so that's the most important thing for the environment those are the kind of things that are are really important and and i think that um, you know, like emissions for aeroplanes. Um, COVID's changed all of that. I mean, uh, it, uh, it, I mean, people aren't traveling, they haven't traveled. The insurances are going up, you know, for teams to travel in the future um, with vaccine or without vaccine. The, the question is, do they still have to travel the same as they did? No, I don't think so. We've all managed very well. Um, I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't travel, but they don't need to travel to the level that they had. I mean, now many people have, have people on the ground in a certain manufacturing country or they have a, a freelance scout, you know, looking for them in retail. So 
those are the kind of sustainable initiatives I'll be looking at to see um, which retailers revert to the amount of um, travel they were encouraging. Because actually, that's probably one of the, the, the biggest things that creates problems in the environment. So, um, you know, I think it was really funny to watch the, the um, all of, there was a group of famous initiatives famous people's initiatives actresses actresses all of this about not traveling around and then yeah. a lot of them were seen on private jets which i think is hilarious um going to like six different countries but um so those are the kind of initiatives that i think are really important that it's not just a call out to the public that it's actually an internal and i think those are the the retailers that will um really survive so there was a, a big um few conferences in the last few weeks of retailers um specifically in the uk doing their sustainability conferences um and you know it's the red thread of beginning to end what are they really doing to stop that and hopefully um i mentioned to you before the 3d programming which means yeah. less sampling um will help with that so um yeah i, I i'm not sure if i i answered your question well but i hope yeah. i did a little bit it's uh, it was a very very relevant taking because indeed again it's it's an insider view that's not often to see so I think it's going to be very uh, valuable for our audience to to hear you out on this particular question and of course I mean like I, I need to ask you because ultimately international head of design international design director let's just go through design because of course design. Uh, even in its concept, as of course, uh, I'm sure you're with me, can have a huge impact on the entire uh, chain that comes afterwards. And my question is, throughout your journey there and, and looking at your expertise now, um, how to cope with design practices that are also best for our planet, Samantha? Wow, my gosh, that's a huge topic. Um, so I think... I think what's important is um, the relevance of, of the amount of design needed. Um, and, you know, depending on the timing. So for example, in this moment, um, people are just desperate to see newness because they're feeling very staid. Um, they're in this nonchalant mood. Um, I think um, in every country, I speak to multiple countries each day. Um, and people are, are in this state of, um, let me call it gray, a gray zone. Um, so they're desperate to, to you know, see newness, see freshness, um, you know, come out of lockdown, um, go out to, to, to new places, but at the same time, they're terrified of going out in theory. So the biggest thing is to have newness via garments and make themselves feel fresher. Um, I think a lot of people during um, this period have lost their identity. And so I think that that's really important for design because um, I think they have to be even closer to the customer now. And I think that's that's probably um, my starting point to tell you about the, the difficulties because, um, you know, you can you can design a garment, um, you know, obviously it's a skill, but it's, it's something you can learn. Um, it doesn't mean it's relevant to that customer. And I think you've got to look at lifestyle and, and understand exactly what the customer wants. So through this, this transition of this last year and a half, customers have changed immensely. You know, their, their working environment, their living environment, the way that they'll live the rest of their lives has changed and their mix of wardrobe has changed. Um, and if, if, you, if you were maybe not in tune with your customer um, or, or um, you know, 
don't fully understand their lifestyles or their struggles, um, it's pretty difficult to service them. Um, and, you know, for example, uh, seamless and athleisure um, being one of the most important things. I don't think I've ever seen so many mothers at a school gate wearing <laughs> athleisure in my life as, as we rocked up after COVID, so, you know, after this lockdown recently. And, and you know, there are women that I would never have seen in stretch pants before, but it's a lifestyle change. So I think the struggle of designers are, how do you design a garment that is, um, let's call it PC, so let's say sustainable or friendly, environmentally friendly, um, and at the same time is relevant to the market. And that's quite challenging, um, especially if you're, it depends on what sector you're in, but if you're in the value sector, that's quite difficult. If you're in the upper end or high, high end, I mean, how do you make that marketable and, and um, applicable? Um, you know, to, to what your customer wants, because usually, you know, they're going to you for a certain DNA of, of your look. Um, the, the brands that are flying in that area and doing the greater design work are the ones that have started from nothing, the new startup brands that see this life and the way people are living and say, okay, you know what, I'm going to do a fully sustainable kids wear range or a fully sustainable um, baby wear range or athleisure, and they're flying. I mean, they, they're yeah, they're, they're flying. I mean, there's many great brands at the moment um, online and you wouldn't think so, but you know, in their, in their first year, two years, um, they're easily turning over in, into the millions. So um, I think that's quite interesting and it will be, it's like an emergence of new brands and design, let's say an eye, um, with the fact that, um, you know, some of the some of the other brands are going to be shrinking. And we've seen, you know, many, many brands drop off because they weren't relevant. Of course, love that idea that you mentioned about the relevance, about being close to the to the consumer. And one thing that really stood for me uh, was, you know, uh, it really caught my attention. Almost the first sentence that you said, which is, you know, a sustainable design has also a lot to do with the amount of design that you do. I, I find that idea uh, really fascinating. Uh, as the conversation has been fascinating, but uh, I have one last question. Um, uh, I promise the last one, but it's uh, Probably, uh, a conversation. Uh, um, because I'm going to this uh, more particular space where you are right now, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I feel you are uh, in a more consultative area. Um, you, yeah. are, you are now closer also to smaller companies, uh, more independent. Right digital brands and you were talking about the ones that are thriving and um, having in mind that background of big corporations doing helping uh, very different uh, brands in that perspective that are fresh and new uh, my question is what do you see uh, evolving in the industry and of course this, this is a big question and looking at the experience that you are having now particularly with let's call it the brands of today um, do you see the future greener also in their regards Yes, definitely. I, I mean, I, I was, um, I've been working with a new startup brand, actually, in, they're in the, the um, just at the end of their second year called Frankly's. Um, and it originally was South African um, underwear brand, um, they're doing men's and women's, but it's the millennial customer. And their biggest thing was they wanted to be as green as possible. So 
they're now entering the UK and different markets and, um, you know, they're with Superbolus and they're beyond Zulander, et cetera. Anyway, doing very, very well, bringing in loungewear and athleisure. The interesting thing was they caught my attention because their CEO, Avi, said to me, um, I need a new packaging for um, you to send out to the online customers. And I said, well, how have you been doing it for, you know, for these two years? Well, he said, I've got a bit of a mission that I like them wrapped in brown paper and that's it in South Africa. And we just send them out like that. And we became quite famous for it. Um, so it's quite challenging when you go then on an international level, because then you've got to kind of hand pick. So you have to get them sent in a box from, you know, wherever you're making Bangladesh or wherever it might be. And, and, and of course, then you've got to repack them and everything. So obviously now, so coming up with um, uh, a bit of a challenge, but those kind of, those are the kind of things that make you stand out and say, actually, that's very cool. That is exactly how I'd like to receive, you know, my daughter's little new romper or, um, you know, her little dress. I don't need like two plastic bags, a box, uh, <laughs> You know, those are the kind of things that, you know, I'm learning from new startup brands that are, are very good. Um, you know, everything down to the ink that's printed. Um, you know, um, if you look at um, Patagonia, if you look at the, the new sports range, they printed their, um, their joggers and their jogging outfit, Naomi Campbell had it on, with pollution. It was actually pollution they printed the garment with. Um, you know, there's, there's the, okay, that's a great marketing stint. But it's quite interesting if you if you go back and you look at vegetable um, vegetable inks, um, you know you didn't have to have so many chemicals. Those those are the kind of things that I think lots of people are, are going to play around with. The biggest thing for me though is, and the biggest challenge that I think needs to be addressed is to make sure that the customers don't get outpriced, because you know as you can see from my CV, I'm very value retail. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the at the end of the day, that's the mass consumer right all over the world and. Um, the mass consumer deserves to have um, the prices that they can afford because everybody's been hit through this economy um, situation and will continue to be hit for the next two years. Um, so it's either they, they buy a more expensive price point and they buy less, which actually people are doing. And that's one side that people have changed to. I would say that's the middle class because they've really taken a knot financially. Um, but the, the mass population um that either has you know kids or they just don't have the economy bracket they they still deserve to have um sustainable garments but at a, a, a valuable price point and i think that's really important I, lo i love that final idea i think it's so important what you mentioned there because and uh shout out to all of these brands for example that i've been talking to here at sustainably in love um and indeed they they try to to make their fairly priced, but indeed uh, the mass consumer is going to be always positioned in, in the value price because unfortunately, unfortunately the, the, the world is a little bit like that. And, uh, uh, and I really like the idea to see, uh, and you were talking about, you know, when all, if big corporations, they go together, they go to the same manufacturers, they can generate sustainable clothing out of also the price points that they need to cope with their business models. So I think there's nothing wrong with that, right? If it's correctly explained, if it's uh, regulated also in that regards, I think we are going to give the opportunity for the mass audience, the mass consumer to embrace uh, sustainability. And I, and I think 
everyone wants it. And that idea that not everyone can buy it, I think it's super important because, you know, if we want to be sustainable, we need to, we need to have the people around us and not just being a niche of, you know, people that have that uh, money power to, to. Correct. I mean, it, look, if all the value retailers just simply took either all their denims or all their t-shirts and they all made it sustainable, it would be affordable if they and did that, it together across manufacturers. And that, that's the key is to, is to do it in a logical manner. I was just, and sometimes just even, and we were talking about marketing certain ideas. I was talking, uh, and then they did uh, this campaign, uh, uh, this German brand that I'm sure you know, Armed Angels. They, for example, they're, they're being very uh, successful with their collection of undyed T-shirts, you know, which basically the whole sum of that capsule is just not running those T-shirts through any dyeing process, which is, of course, great for the environment. So interesting stuff that, you know, even on the perspective of, and you were talking about those mid stages that are very relevant and they have huge impact in terms of the, let's say, carbon footprint of each garment that we use. So I think it's super interesting how the, in terms of, because even marketing becomes ultimately very important to, uh, to fresh new ideas around uh, sustainability. So uh, Samantha, what can I say? Thank you so much. I think it's Thank you, uh, it was an honor to, to have you as a guest speaker. I hope you can keep up the great work that you are doing with those emerging brands. Um, really give them the sense of, uh, you know, uh, the perfect mix about the good examples that are within strong real talk, retail corporation. And that was also one, I would say, of the episode goals, because there is a lot of demonization of these corporations. I think you got a very interesting inside view, even on the backstage of the times where they were running sustainable or let's say fair practices without wanting to, to market yeah. themselves through it. So I think it was very valuable to look at that history as well. So Samantha, thank you so much to everyone that's listening. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And um, thanks for keep supporting Sustainably Love and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Sustainably in Love. So what were your takings uh, from the episode? We really hope that you enjoyed it. And truthfully, our show could not grow without your support. Therefore, whether for good or bad, we would love to see your review on Apple iTunes or Spotify. And hope to see you on the next episode.